Welcome to this episode of the Best Boss Ever podcast series. I'm Carl Thomas, your host for the series, where every week we'll explore the best and the worst bosses, employees, relationships, leadership, management styles, what works, what doesn't, and why, and everything in between. Jim Andrews and I first met 30-plus years ago in his role as editorial director at the International Events Group, now widely known simply as IEG. I had the good fortune of being asked by Jim to speak, moderate, and participate in panel discussions, as well as leading the ubiquitous IEG roundtable discussions, a permanent fixture of the annual conference. He immediately struck me as smart, curious, and politically savvy. He expertly juggled lots of balls simultaneously at the annual spring conference event, and a testament to his intellect and fortitude, he successfully rose to senior vice president and conference leader at IEG, all while the family-owned business transitioned to corporate ownership when Sir Martin Sorrell's global agency, WPP, bought IEG in 2006, eventually renaming it to ESP Properties in 2015. Then, in 2018, WPP sold ESP to private equity group Bruin Sports Capital, and Jim opted to move on after 30-plus years. His understanding and thought leadership around the best practices in sponsorship strategies, brand messaging, and activation continues to serve him well as he launches his own consultancy, AMARC Partnership Strategies, and in his role as an educator, teaching sponsorship to students at Northwestern University's Master's in Sports Administration program. Jim, it's great having you on the show today. Thanks so much for taking the time to share a little bit of your story. It's my pleasure, Carl. Great to be here. Well, listen, since we're on the Best Boss Ever podcast series, we always sort of start with you as today's guest sharing with us who was the best boss and or mentor that you ever had and how that individual or individuals shaped and guided you to where you are today? That's a great question. And I really appreciate that you threw in the word mentor there because I think in in this particular case, that might be a better descriptor than, than boss. And you probably have a guess as to who this is. It's, it's Lisa Eukman, the founder of IEG, who I had the pleasure of working with uh, as my first job out of college and my last job 31 years later, <laughs> my last full-time job, I should say. Um, and, I, you know, Lisa was just the reason I, I, I chose her because I did have other other bosses uh, within IEG uh, over those years. But just from an inspiration level, I mean, she was so creative and so intelligent and had such a passion for this business of of sponsorship that it was hard not to also get very enthusiastic just you know being around her and absorbing her energy and her wisdom and it just inspired me to 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 be smarter i was you know always trying to catch up with lisa which sometimes could be frustrating but for the most part it just created an environment where you always wanted to do better. You always wanted to learn more 
and 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 share more with with, with others. So she was just inspirational. Um, and it's funny because from a boss perspective, she would admit that she was you know never a, a manager um, uh, that was not her strong suit because she was you know so creative and 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 had the entrepreneurial spirit, but not the management piece of it. But um, but that was okay. We we figured out how to how to work around that. Well, I'm not surprised to hear you say that. As you know, I've known Lisa for probably long, as long, if not a year or two longer than you have, but that's sort of another story. But the Youthman family, I mean, obviously Lisa was the face of IEG, but her brother John and her sister Laren were forces to, to be sure. And the three of them led you know, IEG through a couple of sales. Your unique perspective having, as you mentioned, one full-time job for 31 years, not only one full-time job, but in a family-owned business, and that can be, you know, when you're quote-unquote not a family member, that can be quite challenging. Share with us just a little bit of perspective around that. I love that Lisa was your was your go-to mentor, but certainly over the course of those 31 years, um, the challenges of flourishing in a family-owned business are, are, are not stories that get told very often because they don't happen that often. So how did you actually do it? Yeah, and, and I think you know, we, were, we were all so young uh, when, when we started because Lisa's only a few years older than, than I am. You know, we were definitely in the, in the early days uh, making it up as we, as we went along. So I think there was just that kind of family atmosphere. You know, when I joined the company, I was employee number seven. And, uh, you know, certainly I was the one that the only one out of the, the early crew that, that lasted as long as I did. But I think it just was because, you know, I, I shared the vision that, that Lisa and John in, in the earliest days and then Laren when she joined, you know, had for what IEG could become. And I think they saw that, that I was as passionate about this business as they were. Um, so we always joked that I was the, I would joke with Lisa and Laren and John's mom that I was her fourth child because, uh, you know, I spent so much time uh, with them. And, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely, you know, the, the company grew so quickly and, and diversified into, we started out as a publishing company primarily, and then the conference, and then got into consulting. And, you know, there were, you know, the 90s were this, this great period of, of growth. And, you know, we were small enough, and because it was a family-owned uh, situation, you know, I, I always joke that my, I spent the 90s as vice president of failed projects which was awesome uh, because I got to, we would, we would just throw things against the wall and see if they would stick. We, we, would, we looked at starting uh, an executive recruiting division to find you know, good people in sponsorship uh, and, and did a search where our one and only client was, was Sears uh, at the time. And then we decided for, that it just wasn't going to be you know, the right business move to continue that one. And we looked at expanding into Europe and we looked at doing some, some other things. And I just got to, you know, try those things out. And if they failed, well, we just moved on to the next thing. So it was just that, you know, that kind of spirit of, of hey, let's, let, let's do these things together. But also, you know, as we grew up, we, you know, we did formalize uh, practice, business practices. And, uh, and when Laren Eukman, uh, who was the, the youngest of the siblings, came in, you know, she came in with an MBA in management. So she was able to kind of put in place some of the, the, the systems and the processes that, uh, that we probably desperately needed at the time. 
Well, credit to you and credit to Lisa, Laren, and John, uh, because the, the you know, I'll call this a sort of a family partnership. You all did an extraordinary job over the 30 plus years that IEG, which then became ESD Sports, is, as we talked about at the top, um, really flourished in this space. So let's talk now about the power of sponsorship. When brands, typically brands come in, um, they're probably already advertisers on a, on a variety of media and distribution channels, but they focus on, on sponsorship, which is essentially renting international and intellectual property rights. So whether it's Liverpool Football Club and Standard Charter Bank, or it's the Chicago Marathon presented by Abbott Laboratories, the fact of the matter is those events, those clubs, those leagues, those federations are always looking for sponsors that align with not just sort of the ethos and platform of the property, but also align with the audience that consumes the content that's generated by that particular property. Share with us a little bit, what's because you have a lot to share <laughs> around, you know, sponsorship, because you come from a unique perspective. You, you actually spent your entire career bringing properties and brand sponsors and, and the arts and, and music and causes all together in the same room to learn from each other without ever being on the front line, either selling or buying sponsorship itself. Exactly. And that's why I've always described that I really had, to me, the perfect job because I got to sit in the center of this very exciting uh, industry and dynamic industry with you know, great people. But I, you know, I just got to sit there and absorb and, and, and look at everything that was going on and, and analyze it, looking for, for trends and best practices and pulling those together and then sharing them back out uh, with our, our, the community that we really, really built through IEG. Uh, so that, you know, to me, there, there was no other, uh, no better job uh, in the industry than, than being able to do that and kind of sitting at the heart of it and just, just sharing all of the, the best things about it. And you know, I, I think you, you use the term power of sponsorship and, you know, I, all of us in marketing uh, at some points are, uh, can be a little bit hyperbolic, but I don't think it's hyperbolic to, to talk about how powerful sponsorship is because it just, you know, it goes so far beyond the advertising. And I, and I think when people that aren't in our business, you know, hear the term sponsorship, you know, they think about the signage and the, and the naming rights and uh, those kind of, you know, tentpole things that, that are, are very obvious. Uh, but that's not really, you know, the, the, the power of sponsorship. The power of sponsorship is in the connections that these, these brands and companies are able to make uh, with fans, uh, whether that's a fan of a, of a band, a fan of a, a particular sport or a participant uh, in a sport like a marathon. You're really just changing that conversation from, hey, look at us, we're here, we have great products, we have a great company, to you know, really making it a dialogue about we're supporting something that's important to you. We're helping you enjoy this experience. Uh, we're giving you things that are going to enhance the, the participation of you going to a stadium or, or, or uh, downloading some digital content from your favorite team. Uh, so that's, you know, 
that's why I say it's powerful because it, it's a, just a different conversation for a brand to have with a, with a, with a consumer or, or a potential consumer. There's no doubt about that. A sponsorship is powerful, but it's at its apex when a number of things come together. So you and I launched into the sponsorship space when the primary vehicle to leverage sponsorship was linear television. And in today, 30 years on, while linear television is still one of, I would call the tent poles of value around sponsorship, there are so many other elements, content creation platforms, distribution platforms, how technology has enabled measurement and analytics around sponsorship and valuation. And then that, that core word that I always credit Coca-Cola with coining back in the early 90s, activation activating around the platform you just bought the rights to. Talk with us a little bit about how you've seen the adaptation evolve over the past you know, few years and obviously into the current environment as you launch your consulting company around those key points, right? Tech enablement, measurement, analytics, digital distribution of content, content creation, content ownership, and then the ever-present requirement of activation and execution around those con- concepts. Yeah, I, I think in, in some ways, and, and you're right to give credit to, to Coca-Cola, you know, when we first started really introducing that term of activation in kind of the, the mid-90s, we didn't know how easy we had it then uh, as an industry, right? Because the, the, the platforms for activating were, you know, on-site experiential events, uh, you know, at, at stadiums and, and festivals and things like that, it, through, you know, television and other, you know, mass media, print and broadcast media. If you were in the, the right kind of category, you know, retail extensions, doing things in stores, you know, some, some PR around that. And that was kind of it. You know, the, the, the toolbox was, was, we thought it was large at the time, but then when you compare that toolbox to what sponsors have today uh, in terms of what the digital revolution has, has given them, you know, it's amazing. It's, it's, you know, it's certainly on the one hand gotten a lot more sophisticated and a lot more complicated to, to manage all of those different pieces. But I mean, it's, it's, it's great because you can, uh, as a sponsor, just, just do so much more. You can really take your sponsorship out of the realm of being focused around a, a, a three hour football game or a two day uh, music festival and just you know extending that in in so many different ways through digital content through social platforms so i mean it, it, it's night and day the difference uh for the job description i think for being a a, a sponsorship manager if you will these days well and the research component that goes into this so so many tools that you as you mentioned at the at the disposal of both the rights holder in terms of how to package a sale for sponsorship, but e- equally important on the brand side, because because the, here, here's reality: there's no CMO in the marketplace today that brings sponsorship to the C-suite and gets sign off from the CFO and the CEO without a robust method and a number of tools in the box that allows that CMO not only to to measure, analyze, ultimately 
create activation strategies and then execute those against the property, but also to measure performance because that old axiom in, in marketing, uh, 50% of what you spend on marketing is worthless, but we just don't know which 50%. Today's toolbox is huge and allows that, that CMO and that marketing and sponsorship team to get super granular in how they assess uh, the, the benefits, the success, and, and ultimately the platform for renewal and continuation. I mean, we talked about Coca-Cola a bit ago. They've been the Olympic sponsor in the category since 1924. Is there any doubt in your mind that they're going to, you know, forever, as long as there's Olympic Games and there's Coca-Cola, that they will be the soft drink sponsor? I, I can't imagine them ever ever giving that up because they know that their their biggest competitor would would swoop in, and that's I think it, for that reason alone they wouldn't give it up. Not well, not only that, but they have to refresh the strategy, literally now every two years to leverage and optimize that you know gold standard position uh, as the Olympic sponsor into what more sales. They don't need brand awareness. They, by any research function you look at, Coca-Cola, it has the number one unaided brand awareness by a large margin globally. So when we talk about activation, um, that's one of the keys of sponsorship, right? It's like, okay, you buy a sponsorship. Now, what are you going to do with it? You've been in, at the sort of center of that from all sides. Can you flag for us maybe two or three emerging trends, some that might come out of this COVID-19 pandemic, others that have been fueled by the, the tech enablement possibilities, two or three trends you see that are changing the landscape of sponsorship and, and what the short, medium, and long-term effects might be? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the you touched on one, and, and, and it's just the, the, the data that we now have that, that comes out of primarily from, from, from all of the digital stuff, that, that we can really take a look uh, at exactly how our fans on the, on the rights holder side or our consumers on, on the brand side uh, are interacting with what we're putting out there. I mean, the old days, you literally had to have uh, a team of people standing outside the stadium with clipboards asking them, you know, a whole bunch of survey questions. Now we can just look at, you know, what's happening with our digital content that's on our own channels or on, on social platforms. And, and that's a game changer, right? Because you, you talked about the axiom about, you know, the 50% of, of advertising. The axiom in sponsorship, as you well know, Carl, you know, 20, 30 years ago, was sponsorship can't be measured. You know, I heard that from countless people back then, and it was just so frustrating because, no, number one, don't say that because you it has to be measured. You've got to figure out a way. We've got to figure out a way to measure it. Otherwise, it's not going to be sustainable. Uh, as you said, the, the, it gets up to the C-suite. They need something. Uh, they need some evidence that this, this investment is working, it's paying off. And again, back then, you could give them a nice report from, uh, uh, way back in the day, Joyce Julius, and, and later on from from Repucom and Nielsen, that said, "Well, we gained all of this exposure," and sometimes that was enough to satisfy. But but you know, I think the people that really understood sponsorship knew that that, that wasn't really what 
benefit was, the value and sponsorship. It was, as you said, for Coke, it was how, you know, how much sales did we drive? And, and can we prove that that was connected to the sponsorship? And it always has been challenging for a lot of reasons. I'm not going to say it was easy to, to, to have a good measurement plan in place. It you know, took an investment of, of resources and people and time. But now with the, with the data that we have access to, it is actually easier for us to say, hey, this is working or it's not working and we need to make some, some tweaks. So I think that's just a, you know, a, a big, big change that we've seen. The other thing that I've seen in the last couple of years that I think is exciting for, for kind of the growth of, of sponsorship is a lot of new types of companies coming in. You know, one of the things that I you know, did at IEG every year was analyze, uh, you know, just overall, you know, who was doing what in terms of the companies. And I think for a lot of the last decade, there was a little bit of, of uh, stagnation in terms of the, the types of categories. It was a lot of the uh, usual suspects banking, telecommunications, you know, beer and soft drinks, uh, you know, the automotive. And there wasn't a lot of kind of new money coming in. Uh, you know, there was a lot of you know, attention obviously being paid in, in, into digital media. So we weren't seeing the kind of growth uh, in the industry that we had in years prior. And, and I think you know, recently, obviously, pre-COVID, we really started to see an influx of, of new types of, of companies, whether it's direct to consume, all those direct to consumer uh, brands, the challenger brands, the disruptors, who, quite frankly, can really benefit from sponsorship, right? Because it, it, you know, it's, it's cost effective to be a sponsor to get a lot of uh, exposure for a new brand that you could never afford uh, to buy through traditional advertising so it's putting you on a um as a challenger brand on a level playing field with some of the uh the legacy companies so it makes sense for these kinds of companies uh so i'm excited to see that i mean i just at last year a great example you know when you think of the two big stadium projects which literally opened this week it would not have been a surprise when those were first announced to say oh one of them is going to be sponsored by a bank and the other one's going to be sponsored by an airline. But it was a surprise that the, the brands in those categories were SoFi and Allegiant, you know, two kind of almost out of nowhere kinds of brands and the, the kinds of companies that really can take advantage of something like naming rights. That's awesome that you mentioned SoFi because just this week, SoFi hedged their bet as the naming rights sponsor of now the home stadium for the LA Rams and the uh, former San Diego Chargers, uh, now the LA Chargers. But I read, I want to say yesterday or the day before, that SoFi and the Chargers have formed a very unique 20-year partnership around, uh, I want to say, job creation or learnings or, you know, it's something really what I'll call egalitarian, and you should, we, we owe ourselves each other. And I think our audience owes themselves, you know, dig a little deeper into that SoFi LA Chargers uh, relationship, a 20 year deal, which sort of coincides with the term of the naming rights of the venue. I, I think it's summarily brilliant. Whether it works or not remains to be seen. For you and I know, the proof is always in that pudding. But it's one of those things to keep an eye on. Absolutely. And I, I love that, too. And it just, it, it, it's proof that this is so, these kinds of relationships or partnerships 
it, it goes beyond sponsorship and it goes beyond just having the name uh, on the building. Uh, it really needs to extend into those types of areas where you know, you're bringing purpose uh, into it and, and, and really making it meaningful for everyone. Exactly. Uh, in the few minutes we have left, Jim, we're going to sort of pivot a little bit to, you know, my three, my three favorite things to add every podcast with. The first one is sort of a, you know, I, I say this fairly frequently, an homage to Sheryl Crow, one of my favorite female artists. She wrote a great song called My Favorite Mistake. So the question for Jim Andrews is what was your favorite mistake? And that's really the one that was, you know, let's use a term called egregious or, you know, you went deep on the wrong side of the desk, but the, but the one you learned the most from. Yeah. And it was one that was early on. I made a lot, plenty of them, but, but this was early on. I was probably at IEG maybe about a year, year and a half. And I got approached by uh, Adweek magazine to come and, and work for them and, and, and be the sports marketing columnist, which was kind of exciting. And, and they offered me you know, more money, but I really didn't want to leave IEG. So I thought, well, I'll just leverage this. So I walked into John Eubman's office and sat down and said, hey, John, I've got this offer and they're offering me more money. So I just wanted to you know, let you know that. And he looked across the desk at me and said, Jim, I'm sorry to hear that. We're going to miss you, but I wish you the best of luck. And, you know, I just crumbled. I mean, he didn't see it, but I, because I, I just thought he was going to say, well, we'll match that. You know, I, I thought that was the way this was going to work. And I was just shocked. And I walked out and we had a new general manager. We hired our first, first general manager and she saw me and she said, what's going on? You, you look a little off. And, and I told her and she said, do you want to leave? And I said, no. And she was like, okay, we'll fix this. But, you know, it just, it taught me a, a, a lesson about negotiating and just thinking things through and thinking about things from, from the other perspective. Uh, because again, that was a, perfectly reasonable response on his part, but it was just one that I had not considered. Well, not, not only did, did you not think it through or you thought it through down, let's just say an alternate path from, from which John came at you. But the good news is you stayed for another 29 years. And the better <laughs> is the general manager got what you were doing having been recently hired, probably went to John and Lisa and said, listen, you know, we don't have to match here, but we don't want to lose Jim. He doesn't want to leave. What can we do to sort of sweeten the pot a little bit? Absolutely. She was great. And she, I, I needed that middle person there because you know, quite frankly, John was upset and, you know, he and I've been now friends for over 30 years, so we can laugh about it now, but he, you know, he, he was, not happy that I was kind of playing that card. And, uh, you know, I, I think had she not been there, he may have, you know, kind of taken it more personally and just been like, nope, I, you know, if you're going to try and pull that, I don't want you around, which uh, would not have been obviously a good result for either of us in the, in the long run. Right. And invariably, from a leadership perspective, as well as a valued employee perspective, ultimately being able to navigate those differences 
which let's be real in the in in the face of compensation it's a hugely emotional topic on both sides of the desk and to your point that third party uh she really helped sort of smooth the waters you know sort of calm down the ruffled feathers to the extent there were any and everybody won in the end which is which is an awesome conclusion always absolutely next topic uh love this one Give us your favorite female artist or band and, and why. It's got to be for me. I mean, there's so many to choose from, but it's got to be Gaga. I've, I've seen her live twice here in Chicago. And you know, she's just, she's immensely talented as a musician. She's also just a hell of an entertainer with, with the costumes. But I, and if anybody is, you know, obviously everybody's familiar with, with, with her and her songs and her, and her acting, but the musicianship is, is really outstanding. I would urge anybody who doesn't realize that to, um, there's an acoustic version that she did of Edge of Glory on the Howard Stern show uh, a few years back, and it's on YouTube, and it's completely worth the five minutes. That's a great call. Gaga is beyond talented, and it comes through in every medium, right, that she participates in, and there's just no substitute for talent. Last question. We always say on the show that words matter. We, we talk about words and why they matter. Uh, can you give us maybe your favorite word, what it means to you and why? You know, right now, in the times we're living in right now, I wanted to say that my, my favorite word is lame duck, but I will not go there. And instead, I will be serious and say uh, the word respect, you know, and, and it's something that, you know, I think for me, it came from my family. Uh, it, it was something that was talked about a lot in, in my childhood from my Sicilian grandfather on down through my parents, both in terms of it, that it was important to show it but it was important to fight against disrespect uh, because there had been some of that uh, in, in their lives. And I, I think that word for me has always been kind of a touchstone. You know, I, I am very purposeful about always trying to respect you know, everyone I come in contact with. And I, I, I think it just leads to a lot of other things. If you, if you start with respect, it leads into uh, appreciation uh, it leads into treating people well. It, it leads into listening uh, to them, having concern for them, and just trying to understand their perspective. Uh, so all of that, I think, flows out of that kind of foundational word of, of respect. And uh, again, looking at what's kind of going on in, in a lot of the world today, I think it's what's completely missing uh, in, in, in a, lot of, uh, a lot of aspects of our, our interpersonal relationships and, and our political relationships and, and on and on. Well, you would not be wrong with that point of view. And, and I rather think most all of the audience will agree with that. Aretha Franklin <laughs> and her amazing song, Respect, immediately came to mind. And, and so I'll, I'll add that one to the female artist thing because uh, she, she does a really good job of sort of singing us through that. Absolutely. Jim, you've been a terrific guest. I can't thank you enough. Uh, your, your perspective, your uh, legacy, 
the the thought leadership you you've brought to obviously the world of sponsorship uh, is has gone um, on decades and it will continue to go on. And I thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you, Carl. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, everybody. There's more to come every week. So please subscribe and rate us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Pandora, and many others. Also visit our website at thebestbossever.com where you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn, as well as find more compelling content. Until next week, remember, words matter. Words matter.